It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Rico Bronia. To any Giant fan that blames us, that blames the Foo Philly edition of Rico Bronia for the reason that the Giants got their ass kicked, I'm sorry. I feel bad. What can I tell you? It doesn't take away my dislike for Philadelphia, led by the Philadelphia Phillies, and yes, the Philadelphia 76ers, but it sucked, I admit it, even as a Jet fan. I didn't like watching the Giants get their ass kicked, but you did. And so now it's baseball season. So if you're a New York football Giants fan tuning into the Rico to be distracted, we're here for you. Today is about the Hall of Fame, not just the Baseball Hall of Fame, but the Mets Hall of Fame, because the Mets gave us an announcement a couple days ago that they are inducting not one, not two, not three, but four different gentlemen, all well-deserving of it, into the Mets Hall of Fame. We'll go through some of the guys on the regular Hall of Fame ballot and their impact on the Mets. I've got some shocking stories about how some of these balloters were almost Mets. It's funny. It always turns into that, but there are a lot of examples of it. And I think it will lead eventually to a podcast that has been requested, the almost met edition of Rico Bronia, where we go through all the different guys that almost became Mets or almost became Mets when they were good because they later became Mets when they suck. So we'll go through the bout in a little bit. Let's start with the Mets Hall of Fame announcement. Gary Cohen, Howie Rose, Howard Johnson, and Al Leiter. Al Leiter is a guy who for the last three or four years, more than that, probably now five years, anytime I've ever talked about the Met Hall of Fame, which isn't that often, but anytime it's ever come up, I've always mentioned how Al Leiter needs to be there. Because when you look back at those late 90s Mets, he was the stalwart in the rotation. You know, you had a lot of comings and goings over the years. Mike Campton obviously made the big impact when he was there in 2000. Uh, Masato Yoshi, Kenny Rogers, right. But Al Leiter was the stalwart, and Al Leiter was the guy who obviously pitched us to a lot of us in our generation's first playoff appearance, because we may not remember 1988, when he won that play-in game, essentially, against the Cincinnati Reds. And really, even though he never had a playoff win as a Met, which is kind of mind-boggling to think about, because that playoff game is not considered a postseason game, it's considered a regular season game, Al was a big game pitcher. Al was a guy who I always wanted to have the baseball in his hands in a big spot. And unfortunately for him, there are two games that jump out at me where it's not his fault, but the Mets lost brutal, brutal postseason games when Al Leiter left his guts on the mound. And that, of course, is in the 2000 World Series. He pitched game one and had a chance to win, but Armando Benitez couldn't seal the deal in the ninth inning. Don't want to go over it again. You already know what happened. But Al was great in that game. Game one, World Series, facing Andy Pettit, his former team, Yankee Stadium, a kid from Jersey who understands Mets versus Yankees, and the guy pitched a hell of a game. Then he comes back in game five with the Mets backs to their wall down three games to one, and what does he do there? He throws 135, no, I think it was 145 pitches, and unfortunately gives up that roller to Luis Soho that goes down as the game winner. And I never regretted the fact that Bobby V kept Al in that game because I wanted Al Leiter on the mound. I trusted him the most. And unfortunately, he gave up a roller to Luis Soho that found the hole. The Met offense was limp. They didn't do anything in that game. And so Al Leiter was on the wrong end, unfortunately, of two awful losses in Met history. 
but that guy had his balls left out on the mound. And so I'm very happy that Al Leiter's getting that recognition he deserves. For whatever reason, he remind. This is weird to me. He's very Tiki Barber-like. Now, I think Tiki's done a good job of changing this, being on the fan. Obviously, Pete works with him all the time. We're Giant fans are starting to love Tiki Barber again. But for a long time, I think Tiki would admit this, he was disliked by Giant fans. And there were a few reasons why. Uh, he made a controversial, I didn't even think it was that controversial, but he gave an opinion about Eli Manning. But the other thing that I thought contributed to it, because I remember doing overnights at the time, is that he publicly announced he was retiring. And for whatever reason, Giant fans didn't like it in the middle of a playoff race. But whatever the reason, I don't want to relitigate the way Giant fans feel about Tiki. He was not loved by Giant fans for a while the way he deserved to be loved as the greatest running back in the history of the franchise. I bring this up because I feel like Al Leiter has suffered from that where I don't think Met fans love Al Leiter. And I've tried to put my finger on why was it him associating himself with the Yankees and working for the Yes Network for a while? Maybe. Maybe it's because he and John Franco had this bad reputation at the end of like having a direct line to Fred Wilpon. That was a thing that was out there in 2003, 2004, before his time here finally ended after the 04 season. But for whatever reason, when... Al Leiter came back, I think, to Shea Stadium to close it in 2008. He got booed. And that just drove me nuts. Like, how the hell could Al Leiter ever get booed? Al Leiter was a really good Met. He was a clutch Met. Look at his numbers. When you talk about some of the great starting pitchers in the history of the franchise, obviously, you start with Tom Seaver. You continue with Jacob DeGrom and Doc Gooden and guys like that. But Al Leiter is not that far down the list. He really isn't. And again, being the ace. Of a team, and I think he was the ace despite Mike Hampton maybe having that nod in 2000. Al Leiter was the ace of a team that made the playoffs in back-to-back years. That's not something we've seen a lot in Met history. He was the ace of a team that won the National League pennant. So when I saw that Al got in, I was very happy for him. I think he's a great Met. And Pete, I think he's always been a very underappreciated New York Met. I actually agree with you on that fact that, that he's underappreciated. And it's amazing because you don't think that you he Al Leiter had a long career. He spent seven years with the Toronto Blue Jays, but he pitched the most innings for the New York Mets. He was with the Mets for seven seasons. He pitched over what thirteen hundred innings with the Mets. That's 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 more than I think what more than double, triple. Toronto, he pitched only four hundred innings. Yeah, uh, the yeah. the Marlins, same thing too, even though they're in the World Series with them. But the point is is that the um the Mets fan never appreciated him, and I think it's because it's this weird thing of you get to the playoffs early, and then the team start to be bad, and that's the last taste in your mouth. He was on some bad, not-so-great Mets teams. Yeah, he was on 2 obviously, 3 and 4 And by the end, even though Al Leiter actually had a statistically good year in his last year with the Mets, the knock on him, and it was absolutely true, by the way, what I'm about to say, is that he would throw 110 pitches and get through five innings. And that would be it. So, you know, Beningo, before I was working with him, would always scream, bro, this guy, 120 pitches. He's out after five innings. And I agreed with him. Like, I didn't hate him for it, but it was frustrating. 3-2 outlier because every batter worked to a 3-2 count. It's, it's a weird phenomenon, but I'm glad he's getting the day he deserves, and I hope that Met fans give him the love he deserves. Howard Johnson was always a beloved Met. And Howard Johnson's interesting because he sort of bridged the 80s Mets, you know, being a part of the 86 team, 
and then bridge the really, really bad Mets in 1993. And unfortunately for me as a fan, I've always said the first year I remember is 1992. That's the first year I really remember. And that was it for Howard Johnson. Like he sucked in 1992. He was terrible in 1993. Then he bounces around the NL, plays for the Rocky, plays for the Cubs, and then tries to make a comeback with the Mets in spring training a few years later. Uh, never made it, so never returned to the Mets. But I do remember rooting that on because I knew what Howard Johnson was. I knew that he led the league in home runs in 1991, that he was a 30-30 guy, that he was a big part of the 80s team. And Howard is almost the opposite of Al in that he was a beloved Met. So even when things got bad at the end, uh, and he was never great defensively, not that I want to pick on Hojo, but he was always loved. And for me, he was that final kind of fossil from the old days that my dad would tell me about because he would tell me about Keith Hernandez. He was gone. He would tell me about Gary Carter. He was gone. He would tell me about Ron Darling. He was gone. Obviously, Doc was still there. Daryl was gone. Nobody was left. You know, so Howard Johnson was sort of that bridge between the really good to the really bad. You remember some of his good years, though, Pete, right? Oh, well, dude, Howard Johnson's my all-time favorite Met. Like, that was all 100% switch hitter. So I tried to be a switch hitter. I had the batting gloves, had the stance, had everything. Um, My father had a very similar beard, too, so that kind of, like, I saw that connection type of thing. Like, oh, look, look, my dad, he could play third base for the Mets, right? Duh. But no, <laughs> but it, I rocked a 20 because of him. I was, it's weird because I'm only a year older than you, but Howard Johnson had an impactful part to my life, especially being a Mets fan. He was definitely like someone that was like, I was locked in. That's my dude. Well, that one year is huge because it, if I understood baseball in 1991 and I was just, I was just too young. You know, I was seven turning eight. So I watched it, I'm sure. I think I have scored games from it, but I don't remember it. Like, it just isn't fresh in my mind. But if I did remember 1991, Howard Johnson at 38 home runs, he was he was a beast. He had one of the best seasons of his career that year. So in this case, with this player, the one-year or two-year difference is monstrous. It's the difference between seeing a guy who sucks and seeing a guy who's awesome. It's my it's it's my case on why there's so many more. And this is not supposed to get to this diatribe of of Yankees versus Mets, but I almost got my stepkid to be a Met fan. And in 2016, they were in the playoffs. The Yankees were not. And I'm like, oh my god, he may be a Met fan because of this. And then the next year, the Mets didn't return, and the Yankees started to soar, and Aaron Judge started to take off. And it's like that. It, it is. It's he was like six or seven around that time, and it's like. It's a it really that one year difference is so huge. Completely forgot about what the Mets were, and now he's a diehard Yankee fan. Yeah, and look, if you were growing up similar age to me and you, it was sort of the same thing. It was the end of the Mets, which really kind of went down in 91, 92 in that area, and then the beginning of the Yankees. Because by 1994, they were a tremendous baseball team. The strike kind of short circuited that. Uh, the other two inductees are incredibly well deserving Gary Cohen and Howie Rose. I, I always wonder with broadcasters, when is the time to do it? Because Howie Rose is still going strong. I, I mean, he's still the radio voice of the Mets. I don't think he's retiring, hopefully, anytime soon. Gary Cohen is still the voice of the Mets on TV. He's going strong. I don't think he's retiring anytime soon. So I looked back at the original three of uh, Bob Murphy, Ralph Kiner, and Lindsey Nelson to wonder, when did they go into the Mets Hall of Fame? And when I saw the year, I said, okay, this makes sense then. 
Bob Murphy, who broadcasted well into the 2000s, and even Ralph Kiner on a part-time basis got into the mid-2000s. They were honored in 1984, which if you do the math is only 22 years into the Mets' existence. Gary and Howie are blown that away. I mean, I grew up listening to Howie Rose do Mets Extra. Gary Cohen, to me, was always the radio voice of the Mets. So they've blown that bar away that Murphy and Kiner and Lindsey Nelson had. So fantastic. They deserve it. To me, Gary Cohen, and this is a weird compliment, but it, I really believe it. When he did radio, especially for the brief time where it was Gary and Howie, I think Gary Cohen is pound for pound the greatest radio baseball play-by-play play guy I've ever heard. I think he's that good. He's, he's great on TV. Don't get me wrong. It's not a, a knock on what he does on TV. But I thought the way he painted a picture on radio was as brilliant as it gets. So when he got the opportunity to broadcast in 06 after he jumped the TV and sort of pushed Tom McCarthy to the side, <laughs> I didn't mind it because Gary was awesome. So you had Gary Cohen calling the Andy Chavez catch, which could have been historic if the Mets actually won the game. Howie has been, Howie's the heartbeat of the Mets. That's what I like to say about Howie Rose. And Gary is too as well, but Howie grew up, knows everything about the history of the team, feels the history of the team. You could feel it when you hear him. And so I think these two guys are incredibly well-deserving and I'm glad they got in. And the timing is right because as much as I initially thought, why now? Again, looking back at when they honored Bob Murphy and when they honored Ralph Kiner, they did it 22 years into the Mets' existence. Both guys have broadcasted far longer than that. 